tropical fruit, tamales wrapped in banana leaves, and grandma's mole. This week, we're in Oaxaca, Mexico. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Greg Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we're in a different corner of the world to explore the food and drink that makes that place special. And this week, we're exploring Mexico's culinary capital, Oaxaca. My friend Maria Taka is a food writer who designed the Oaxaca food tour for Culinary Backstreets. She's also worked as a translator and a fixer for TV production companies like Christopher Kimball's Milk Street and Andrew Zimmerman for when they visit Oaxaca. And Oaxaca's having a moment right now with foodies, so I'm glad I got to talk with Maria about her grandmother's mole, Day of the Dead celebrations, and a corn fungus called Huitlacoche. And if you've listened to the show for any period of time, you know I'm way into fungi, so I was glad Maria happily joined me down the rabbit hole of Huitlacoche fungus to talk about the history of this Mexican delicacy. So if you're keeping a fungus scorecard at home, Destination Eat Drink has talked about mushrooms, truffles, and now Huitlacoche on the podcast. And if you want to listen to any of these other fungus-based episodes, head over to radiomisfits.com. Every episode of the podcast is archived there, or go to destinationeatdrink.com slash pod. Destination Eat Drink. Maria, thanks for being on Destination Eat Drink. You're from Oaxaca, Mexico. If I were to come down to Oaxaca for a visit, where would you tell me would be the first place that I should go to enjoy the food scene and to get an idea as to what Oaxaca is all about? Well, definitely has to be the historic center of Oaxaca City, which at the same time is located in the very center of the whole state in the valley. And what goes on in the, uh, in the city center that's so intriguing and interesting? In the city center, we can find a little bit of everything. We can find like amazing markets with really good pro- uh, produce, you know, very farm-to-table scheme, very organic. But we can also find amazing restaurants, you know, that can go from street food level to, you know, high-end fine dining. So... It's a little, you know, universe in there. And we can find a different flavors as well of other parts of um, the state. You know, you can find cuisine that, um, you know, pays homage to the northern mountains. But you can also find like really good seafood. So it's a bit of everything in there. And when you talk about the market, is this an outdoor produce market? Uh, well, there are some little farmers markets that are more independent that are outdoor, but you know the traditional markets of the city, the very old ones, are not precisely outdoor. They're very open and you know big, but there are closed markets. But people from all different villages of Oaxaca tend to go there and have little stalls or have improvised stalls there. So the vibe is quite outdoorsy. So we're interacting with the folks who are producing what we're buying. Is that right? Yes. That's, I think, one of the most beautiful things of Oaxaca in terms of uh, culinary explorations. And so if I were to go there today, 
you know, we're in we're in late winter, early spring now. Um, what would be some of the things that I might see in the market that would be um, growing right now that we could enjoy? Well, we will see a lot of um, well dif- different things. No, we can find a lot of garlic. We can find a lot of uh, oranges. And right now, you know, our spring is very different from um, you guys up north. Okay. So I will say you need a very uh, uh, a glass of very uh, cold <laughs> drink first, uh, but you will see a lot of <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you will see a lot of mangoes right now. We're starting to have a lot of mangoes and very different um, species of mangoes. There's one that we call pineapple mango, and it's a beautiful thing that I I can explain, but it's something you have to try. So right now, like we are starting to have some of these of these tropical um, fruits, but also we still have oranges and pomegranates and um, um, lime. So we have a lot of tropical vibes right now in Oaxaca. When I think of Oaxaca, one of the first things I think about is mole. And I think mole is kind of misunderstood in the United States. Maybe you could take a minute, Maria, and explain what mole is and how we could best enjoy it when we're in Oaxaca. Well, mole, you know, even the name of mole tells you everything. Mole comes from uh, the Nahuatl, that is an indigenous language of the center of Mexico, uh, what Mexico City is now, is today. And it means salsa. So basically a mole is a mix, is a a sauce, you know, like these heavy sauces of um, French cuisine. This is mole, no? It's, it's a sauce made with different ingredients. You can have 20, up to 24 ingredients or 10. It depends on the recipe. But um, it's basically a, a sauce made with chile. And in Oaxaca, we have different moles. We have, uh, fam- well, they say we are famous to have seven varieties of moles. But I think we we're safe to say that we have at least hundreds <laughs> because <laughs> it depends really on the recipe of the family. Um, but the best way to have mole is uh, with a good pro- protein. Uh, it could be a vegetarian uh, protein, for example, mushrooms, but you can have it with uh, chicken or pork or even beef. For me, like the best version of mole would be with um, either chicken or turkey because that is more... Um, it resembles more the ancestral way of eating uh, mole, you know, before the Spanish came. So in Oaxaca, you can find a lot of places where they sell you mole, no, as a dish, but they also sell you the paste in the market. And then you can go home and prepare. So it's a matter of, you know, really knowing where is the best place or where you like the, the paste or the mole. Uh, that you enjoy, you know, in, in which restaurant. And during the walk with Culinary Backstreets, we make sure to give people a little um, uh, sample of all these different moles because we have green mole that is very herbal. We have amarillo that is more, um, it's herbal, but it's a bit more spicy and more, um, it resembles more like tom- tomato and spice. And then we have the darker moles that are all about the cacao and the chile. So they'll be heavier. So you said there's maybe a hundred kinds of mole, maybe even more. You've lived in Oaxaca. 
Have you tried all of these, Maria, or are you discovering new moles every day? <laughs> well, I, I could say I, I've tried the seven general varieties. The hundreds, I don't know, but I've tried many. <laughs> <laughs> and it all depends in the, you know, some grandmas, for example, my grandma adds a lot of sugar to her moles, kind of sweet. And then I have a friend whose grandmothers, she, she makes a very spicy one. So I've tried many different things, but I'm always discovering. Really, I'm always discovering because, you know, sometimes you travel inside Oaxaca, you know, to the coast region or the north region, and you realize that instead of using, for example, um, um, I don't know, Yerba Santa, they use another herb that is typical from the mountains, no? or a different chile here. So you always find differences. They're very subtle, you know, they're just nuances, but still they make, if you are, a, you know, an expert or you at least are slightly trained, you can tell these little details make a whole difference in the dish. So it's a perpetual discovery, I would say. <laughs> so you brought up a lot of things and I want to ask you about maybe a mole that you've discovered, but you said, Maria, that your grandmother makes it one way that's sweet. Your friend's grandmother makes it a way that's more spicy. And I think that brings up a universal point. I've been doing this podcast for a while now. I've talked to people from all over the world. And one thing that I always find is people talk about how their grandmother makes the best whatever the dish is. So your grandmother's is, is your favorite your friend's grandmother is their favorite. Tell me a little bit about your grandmother's mole. Well, my grand grandmother's mole is um, she. I, I really like it because I, maybe you know, in terms of if a chef would come here, maybe they would say, "Oh, it's you know, extremely sweet or it's extremely spicy." But mm -hmm. I think these flavors connect you with uh, home. No, so in a way, these are the flavors that bring you comfort when you try them, regardless of the technical aspects of the, the sauce. No, but my grandmother's uh, mole is is kind of uh, it's a bit of a naughty mole, you know, because it, it could be <laughs> <laughs> it could be a bit spicy sometimes. Well, she hasn't prepared a mole in some years now, but um, it's a bit spicy, and then. Um, she she serves the, the chicken breast and then the mole and then you try and you feel this spiciness that is also, you know, it has some hints of cacao, of chocolate. And then you're like, wow, it's, it's a bit overwhelming. And then she gives you, um, you know, a bowl of sugar and says, okay, sprinkle some sugar. And when you sprinkle some sugar, then everything just comes together. So... I think my grandmother's mole is a ritual in itself because you have to have all this sort of um, mole paraphernalia around you, you know, like <laughs> the wooden spoon and the sugar <laughs> and the tortilla <laughs> and some water. Let's talk about tortillas a little bit because corn is such an important part of Oaxacan dishes. And corn is, you know, in the U.S., I think we get stuck on sweet corn that, uh, you know, in the summer we have corn on the cob. And that's really only time we think about corn. In Oaxaca, it's much more important. And there's many, many different varieties of corn. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of corn and maybe the different varieties of corn that are available? Yeah. Well, 
Corn is a thing here, you know, and as a Oaxacan, I have to say that we are very snob about corn <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, when I travel to other parts of Mexico, uh, sometimes I don't find the quality tortillas that I find here. I mean, mm, I'm not wow. saying that Mexico, the rest of Mexico doesn't have good tortillas, but they're a bit harder to find uh, compared to Oaxaca. You find really good tortillas almost in every market. But the thing is here, um, for, well, to start with, uh, Mexico has around uh, 59, 64 varieties of uh, native corn. And out of these 64, more or less 35 are in Oaxaca. So it's quite a number. Wow. 35 different varieties of corn. And, and how are they different, Maria? Well, it depends. Oaxaca is a very intricate state, in uh, ge ge geographically speaking. Um, we have uh, coast, uh, valleys, and mountains. So the the corn you find here respond to these uh, varieties. No, so the corn from the mountains tend to be dark, dark um, grains, and um, they're not so starchy. Um, and then we have the Bali varieties and the Southeast varieties that are have more starch and they're um, white or yellow. And they're better for making tortillas, for example, because they have more starch. So it really depends on the area of the state. But what's very beautiful is um, corn is really related to indigenous people. And 80% of the people who actually... Uh, cultivate corn uh, are indigenous and they do it for self-consumption. So that means it's a very artisanal process on one hand. On, on the other hand, it means that um, there are small batches, so they, they take better care of it. It's not these big fields full of chemicals. It's very organic, very, um, you know, pure. So this is the corn and everything is happening in Oaxaca. So we have a really, really good um, quality of corn. And when you eat the tortilla, you can taste it because the tortillas don't taste like corn. You know, sometimes they ask me, what's the taste of corn? It's very difficult to explain. It's just corn. It's like what happens with milk. You know, how, what's the taste of milk? And you say... Mm. It's milk, right? <laughs> before we before we get off of the corn topic, I did want to ask you about something called uh, Huitlacoche, because I'm obsessed with fungi, and uh, you know I love mushrooms. I love truffles, especially. I go down the truffle rabbit hole all the time. I had the guys who directed the movie The Truffle Hunters on the podcast a couple weeks ago. I wrote a book that is about truffles mostly. And when I went to Mexico City uh, years ago, I really got into Huitlacoche. I was on a mad search for Huitlacoche and someone took us to a place that served fresh Huitlacoche. Um, could you, let's have a little talk about Huitlacoche because I, I love it so much. And um, is it very popular in Oaxaca? Do you like it? I love Huitlacoche. I love it with all my heart. It is popular in Oaxaca. It's more, um, it's, it's, um, it, with La Coche consumption, is more popular in the Mexico City area, no? like central Mexico, because okay. it's, a, it's a more humid area. Here is more dry. Mm. So with La Coche is easily found in, uh, in these areas no? uh, when, when there is more rain. So, but we can find it here, especially in the mountains. 
And I think it's one of the most beautiful things about uh, corn that has ever happened to Mexico because, you know, <laughs> I sound like everything is grandiose here, but yeah, it is somehow. Um, well, you know, uh, corn, basically, to understand Huitlacoche better, you have to understand the milpa. And the milpa is a farming system, uh, very ancestral, that the native uh, inhabitants of Mexico had, where it's like our holy trinity, you know? So you have a patch of... Uh, you know, earth, fertile earth, where you can, or soil, uh, sorry, <laughs> where you can plant corn, beans, and squash. And these three uh, plants together help each other. You know, the, the corn gives nitrogen, uh, sorry, the beans give nitrogen to the soil, which the corn needs to grow. And then the pumpkin helps to preserve the moist in the ground. And all come together and these three are the base of uh, Mexican diets. But at the same time, eating these three things together are actually really good for your body because it will give you all the proteins and amino mm -hmm. acids you need. The thing with, uh, with La Coche is, uh, with La Coche uh, is a fungus, like you said, but if you eat the Huitlacoche and the corn together, you will get the nine amino acids we need uh, you know, for sustenance. Oh, so it's healthy too. Good. Yeah, it's very healthy. And uh, in other parts of the world where they plant corn, they kill the huitlacoche. Yes, in the U.S. In the U.S., farmers hate huitlacoche. They they burn fields that uh, are what they say infested with huitlacoche. And then you just cross the border into Mexico and it's this celebrated delicacy. It is. It is. It's really like our our corn truffle, you know, and the important thing about Huitlacoche and corn is that together they're a perfect marriage. So somehow there is this sacred knowledge and sacred perfection around these two things together, which uh, then you understand the value, uh, spiritual and, um, you know, nutritional value of corn in Mexican culture. And then you have the taste that is so powerful. For me, it's like earth. It's a very, very earthy flavor, very stern. I don't know that if stern makes sense, but, you know, very deep and intense. And before uh, it became a delicacy, it was, it was, you know, food that the poor will have, no? Like, well, we don't have a really good comb here, a really good corn, but we have at least this fungus that maybe we eat. And now some, you know, people realize of its value, nutritional value, and they said, okay, well, it's great. It's a delicacy. And then the flavor, you, re, you understand no, the power of Huitlacoche in terms of um, culinary uh, techniques. No, The Huitlacoche, you can use it uh, in soups, you can use it in tacos, you can use it um, with pasta. So it really is used in a very similar way as truffles are. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it started out as a peasant food. In Europe, truffles were 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 frowned upon hundreds of years ago. They were fed to pigs. Uh, they were used as as livestock feed. Wheat lacoche kind of went through the same transformation as being this uh, food that's looked down on your nose. Now you can go into Michelin starred restaurants and pay $50, $75 for a plate, <laughs> a dish with, that features wheat lacoche. Yes, it is. Here is not as expensive, but it is compared to corn. For example, one kilo of huitlacoche uh, equals 12 kilos of corn. So 
yeah, it's a it's a bit um steep the difference. But actually, I would say, and this is a recommendation for you, if you come to Oaxaca and love with La Coche, well, you should schedule between July and uh, September, October. No, that's the best season to find with La Coche because it's the wet season and it's better to eat it fresh. No, you can preserve it, but it's better to eat, eat it fresh and you can detect its freshness because, you know, with La Coche looks like a swollen corn grain, you know, like a as if it's so swollen or um, like a tumor. But if you find with La Coche that is very dark and still resembles the shape of the grain, that means it's quite fresh. If it looks, you know, way too big or um, smashed, then it's not so fresh. So I advise you to come in around the summer. That's great advice. You know, if you go to a Mexican grocery store, a lot of them in the U.S. will have canned wheat lacoche. Some fancy uh, fancy grocery stores, not Mexican grocery stores, also carry it. But getting it fresh is really the way to go in my mind. Um, Maria, let's talk um, more about tortillas because, uh, you know, we, we got off on the wheat lacoche <laughs> tangent. But the corn, you know, is important to make, obviously, the tortillas. You mentioned that a little bit. What are some of the traditional Oaxacan dishes that we would enjoy made with tortillas? That's a very uh, big question because so many, right? Yeah, we use tortilla for everything. No, I think that the the question maybe would be what dish goes with tortilla. No, what we we what can we use uh, to make tortilla better? Because the tortilla is the center, and uh, something that is very important to understand before actually thinking other dishes with tortillas, tortilla itself, you know, um, in many places in Mexico, they, they use um, dough, uh, sorry, um, how you say, flour, you know, corn flour, instead of fresh corn that mm-hmm. has been boiled and nixtamalized, we call it. That, that is, that has been boiled with um, lime, but not lime, the chemical, you know? Yes, not lime juice, but uh, powdered lime, the chemical. You boil it with um, lime, and then you make uh, the grains really soft, but you also help to fixate uh, the calcium in your bones. That's the, the nixtamalization process helps to make corn more digestible. So, and the flavor is very different because it, it gives it a sort of sweet aftertaste, whereas the tortillas that don't have been nixtamalized or are not using fresh corn have a, a bit of a very acidic aftertaste. So that's very important. The tortilla has to be slightly sweet and, and, the, and very soft. Um, having said that, uh, then when you come here, you can find these big fresh tortillas of these ladies selling them, you know, that they made by hand, not with a machine. Um, and then you can put whatever you want in a tortilla in Oaxaca. No, It's very customary to go to the market and sit in these places where they are grilling some meat. And then they sell you the tortilla and you put the meat and some guacamole. And then you put um, salsa and you have a taco. We also have the tlayudas that are a bit like a Oaxaca, like a pizza. Uh, the tlayuda is a big, uh, very big tortilla, but it's not really a tortilla, it's a tlayuda. It's, all the corn products have different names. So we have memelas, tortillas, tostadas, no? but are all very similar to 
people that are not very acquainted with corn or tortillas. So the tlayudas are a bit like a, a middle way be between a soft tortilla and a crispy tortilla with, that we call tostadas. And they're really big and they have a bean paste and quesillo, like the string cheese and some beef or chorizo or just the cheese if you're veg vegetarian and then some salsa and avocado. And they fold it like a, similar to a calzone. And that's something that is very, very Oaxacan, especially from the Bali area, which is Oaxaca City. But we also have the enfrijoladas, for example, that are these soft tortillas that are bathed on a um, bean sauce, similar to enchiladas, but instead of having red or green salsa, we have a pure bean sauce. And then on top of that, we put some cream and some fresh cheese and onion and cilantro. And that's, you know, the tortilla, we can use it as a vehicle for many things, you know, just to add, put some, um, you know, avocado or guacamole in the middle and make a very simple taco to all these uh, preparations like that I just mentioned, no? like the tlayuda or like the enfrijolada. Making me hungry, Maria. <laughs> I might have to pause and make some tacos. Um, <laughs> before we uh, move on to drinks, I did want to talk about tamales because I, from what I've read, it sounds like tamales in Oaxaca are a little bit different than tamales we might get in other places. Well, tamales in Oaxaca are very, very popular too. Uh, we have our own name, no? Tamales Oaxaqueños, because are Mexican, but the tamales Oaxaqueños, we say it's another thing, no? <laughs> and I think what, <laughs> we, sorry, so I'm sorry, Brent, you will find a lot of very proud uh, gourmands it's, in Oaxaca. When... It's good. I like it. I like it. <laughs> um, well, the, the, the Oaxacan tamales are really special for two reasons, no? One is the quality of the dough, because the quality of the corn here is way better than in the rest of Mexico or, well, <laughs> better. <laughs> uh, or it's easier to find a good quality dough, no? It's, uh, that is not industrialized and all these things. So it's the, the quality is insured. Um, that's on one side. And on the other side is the feelings, no? And the feelings are very Oaxacan because they are basically all these different moles. You can find tamales with green mole, with black mole, and with um, yellow mole. You can also find sweet tamales that are basically just the, the dough that has been uh, sweetened with some uh, sugar and pineapple and raisins and cinnamon. Uh, and then we have other tamales that could be, you know, these stripes of chile with some tomato, more like a stew, some with chicken or with a squash blossom and string cheese. So the fillings uh, have very, very local ingredients or stews or moles. So that's what makes uh, Oaxacan tamales very special. And also because they're very linked to celebrations. No? We eat tamales in winter um, and uh, fall in Day of the Dead, of course. That's the dish, you know, the mole tamal. It's something you have to have in Day of the Dead. We have it uh, sometimes... Um, in wintertime around Christmas, you know, different celebratory masses and things. We have um, tamales on uh, February. We have uh, tamales on Three Kings Days. Are all linked uh, to celebrations, you know, for baptisms and sometimes weddings or christenings. 
we do eat tamales. So they are very linked to celebration. That's why they're very important here. When we lived in Austin, Texas, I remember Christmas tamales were a huge thing and families would get together and make massive <laughs> batches of tamales for Christmas and uh, charities would sell them uh, around Christmas time to try and make money. My question to you, Maria, is for the tamales, you talked about all these different holidays. Are there specific tamales that go with a specific holiday? Uh, yes, I think the most representative one is Day of the Dead, no? The, the, the black mole tamal has to be part of a Day of the Dead feast, no? Here uh, in Oaxaca, people tend to go on um, October 31st and November the 1st to the graveyards uh, in the night, and they sit around uh, the grave of, you know, a, a relative or a loved one, and you bring tamales with you and you bring some hot chocolate and because it's very cold on those days in <laughs> here, well, very cold for us, basically, obviously, because, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's cold, no? So, so they come together and the, the tamale is easy to carry. It's easy to, you know, you just steam it and keep the steam in there. So it's easy to preserve warm and then people eat the mole tamal. And mole, black mole, is something that is totally linked to Day of the Dead. So that's, I would say, the most representative one of all. So you said the black tamale goes with Day of the Dead. What what exactly is black uh, mole? Because you've mentioned several different kinds. What goes in the black mole that makes it special? Well, black mole is very special probably because it's the one that needs more time and more ingredients to be prepared and more experienced. Not everyone can pull a very good black mole. Um, and the black mole is very special because it needs different chiles and is a, a mix of a lot of ingredients like cacao, like chilhuacle negro, chilhuacle rojo, eh, bread, uh, nuts, almonds, even well, sugar, like I mentioned earlier. So the black mole, we consider it to be the king of moles because it needs more time of preparation, but also because all the chiles that go in there are a bit harder to find sometimes uh, or are more expensive. And then of course, you, 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 know, you use the big things or you bring out the big guns in the special celebrations, right? So, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so this is why. And the black mole tamal is very special too because the dough is a bit more moist and they are wrapped in banana leaves, whereas most of the tamales are wrapped in corn husks. Right. He, here they use banana leaves. Uh, I'm not so sure why, but I recently wrote something for uh, Culinary Backstreets about tamales. And during my research, I found out that um, there is a vintage way of doing tamales, a black mole tamal. And they used to use agave leaves instead of uh, banana leaves. Oh. Yeah, that's, I, I was really surprised. I have been living here almost all my life and I was like, wow, I didn't know this. It's really exciting to, to grind these pieces for uh, culinary backstreets because you find out a lot of things about your hometown and the lady who told me that she's a 90 year old lady and she said her grandmother used to do it so we're talking about more than 100 years 
you know, tradition. And now because the agave is an endangered, endangered species, nobody is uh, using them to grab the tamales there. But the agave gives a very interesting flavor to everything, no? And you can taste the agave better in the mezcal, but it is a bit of a mineral and earthy, smoky flavor that I'm pretty sure will give the mole tamal, you know, like um, an upgrade, or you know, and probably that's my conclusion. They started using banana leaf to keep the moist because it's easier yes. to keep, keep it moist, but also because it resemble more to agave uh, leaves rather than instead of, you know, the corn husk. Okay, there you go. We'll end this episode on tamales, but next week we'll have Maria back for more about Oaxaca. After all, the show's called Destination Eat Drink, so we got to have some drink talk, and we'll do that next week with Maria. Mezcal, drinking chocolate, coffee, all that next week in Oaxaca. Uh, the show notes have links to get to Maria's tour in Oaxaca. You can get that at radiomisfits.com. Until then, destinationeatdrink.com is ready for you with foodie travel guides to cities all over the world. And this week on the blog, I posted about Manuka honey. It's all the rage these days, but is Manuka worth the money? I give the lowdown at destinationeatdrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and tortilla-eating champ Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Get vaxxed, wear your mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 